It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast, a nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name's Fergus Collins and I'm your host. And welcome to a new season of mindful escapes into the green outdoors in search of wildlife and wilder people. As well as heading out into beautiful landscapes as autumn stretches into winter, we'll be enjoying some episodes that the team and I recorded over the spring and summer, so expect some soothing escapism at this dark time of year. In our third episode, we meet one of my great rural heroes, and I'm very envious of my podcast colleague, Annabelle Ross, who got to go to Dorset, to River Cottage, to catch up with writer, presenter, farmer, forager, campaigner, Hugh Fernie Whittingstall. It's been 20 years since his first adventures in foraging and smallholding and living the good life. He inspired millions, including me, to the grow your own life, keeping chickens and getting closer to the land. So listen on for an absolute treat. I don't have a name for this valley. I can't say this is welcome to the... It's Park Farm is what it is. <laughs> it goes by various names. It's Park Farm and, and River Cottage HQ. Near? Oh, we're very near Axminster. Yeah. yeah. So when we're looking over that way, which direction is that? That so, uh, I is southeast. Know. Southeast. And what are we looking at southeast? Uh, well, the coast is that way, just over the ridge there. And just not very far from here is Lyme Regis. Mm. And uh, further, a little bit further east is Seaton. Those are the two nearest harbours. If you go a little bit further west, you're in Bridport, just over the border. Well, Lyme, Lyme Regis is just in Dorset and Bridport, which is actually near the original River Cottage. Because, of course, River Cottage isn't... We've taken River Cottage with us. We've borrowed River Cottage to create River Cottage HQ here at Park Farm. Why, why did that happen? Well, the original River Cottage, where 
over 20 years ago, I started making TV shows. Mm. It's a tiny little uh, lock keeper, weir keeper's cottage uh, on the River Brit, about 40 minutes from here. So we made a, a bunch of shows at River Cottage, the original cottage on the River Brit. And uh, we did three of them, and then things moved on, and we thought we were going to do something else. I, and I moved on because at that point, uh, I decided, along with my then girlfriend, now wife, Marie, mm-hmm. that we decided that we would move to the countryside and we started looking for a place. And we settled ourselves in a lovely little village uh, called Hewood, uh, which is, again, just in Dorset. And River Cottage sort of went into a state of kind of suspension for a year. Uh-huh. And then, River, then Channel 4 and we, us decided that we are going to do some more shows. And so we decided that we wanted River Cottage to be something a little bit different. And we created uh, an event space and a cookery school in some uh, farm buildings just outside Bridport, which we rented for a while. Meanwhile, we were looking for a permanent home. And then we found it here at Park Farm. And so, to all intents and purposes, this is River Cottage. Yeah. Although that lovely Weirkeeper's Cottage on the River Brit is still there. And I visited it recently when we made our recent show. And it's between tenants at the moment. <laughs> so, if anyone wants to go and live in the original cottage... You don't feel tempted to sort of... I'm very content where I am. And we're very settled in, mm. in our lovely farm just down the road. Here we are in the kitchen garden. You call well, it the market garden and we, the kitchen garden? The market garden, this is... and. It's really about getting some veg at scale into the kitchen because when we're busy with events or supplying the restaurant, we like to grow as much of our stuff as we can. But we're incredibly lucky because two of our bordering neighbours are also organic farms. We've got lovely friends at Trill Farm and Hay Farm and they grow produce and they grow livestock. So it's like between the three of us, we are really quite a substantial, probably over 300 acres of organically farmed land we're a bit less than 100 but here at the moment we're going big on squash as you can see and you can see a few of them peeping out from under their big leaves and there's even more over there and that's handy because we've just put a a soup on the menu which is a spicy squash and lentil soup it's a recipe from the new book and so we'll be hoovering up these squashes in the next few weeks some of them are not quite ripe yet we've got lots of different kinds there's some butternuts and then over on the other side there's one of my favorites You've got a lot of different squash, yeah. We've got lots of different squash. There's a butternut there. And then oh, what we've are got those some patty pans beautiful. here. Are that what the, is that those, patty yeah, pans? That, that's, beautiful. That, that's, I would call that a patty pan. And it's kind of between a squash and, and a courgette. Um, very nice. Uh, and these are some round courgettes. They're all part of the same family, the squashes and courgettes. Keep walking. Kirkabits, yes. Past the We're sunflowers. Going past the sunflowers, which will just be left here and feed the birds, in fact. It's, it is it also come and... companion plant? Is that? Yes. I don't a, really know what that is. I'm sure if you talk to Adam, he would tell you lots of very good reasons why the sunflowers are beneficial for the squashes. And the... But what does work is, and the marigolds are great, they attract the aphids and then the, and the ladybirds come and feed on them. And the sweet corn, which we've just about harvested now, grows very nicely in amongst the squashes. These beautiful, dusky, 
grey-green squashes are called Crown Prince, and they're one of my favourites. And look at that one over there oh with the sort gosh. of barnacles on it. Oh, it looks a bit. Yeah, look, does look. I'm afraid it's not looking its best. It looks a bit warty. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm no, not. that's part of the design. It's okay. very. It's, it's a, it's a warty squid. It's a warty skin squash, <gasps> and I can't tell you what variety it is. It's huge. It's a big one, isn't it? I mean, you, you say it's huge, but if I was, if I was growing a pumpkin. Uh, for a pumpkin growing competition, you know, that I was hoping to win, that would be an absolute midget. You know, you get them literally this big. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, huge ones, you know, for... My for, height. Uh, not far off, I would say, Annabelle. <laughs> three quarters of your height. OK, good, I'm not yeah. that short. And, you know, the three people could sit on one and have a picnic. But this is a good size. I mean, these are going to be ready to harvest usually the sign that it's ready is there's no problem letting you can see a lot of this foliage looks very kind of tattered and dried out that's absolutely fine because you let that all die back and the squashes mm. that are left at the end of it they've they've ripened and they're mature a lot of people pick squashes a little bit too early there is definitely a time of year where i think people struggle with yet another squash and what to do with it the variety and how to because it's all about seasonal cooking and and all that shall i carry that one can you manage the yeah the Apple. rotten apples where are we taking the rotten, rotten apple it's going to be a treat for the pigs and oh. just, there's just a few slightly um bruised and wasp eaten windfalls and uh, the pigs need a treat today let's go and meet the pigs yeah. oh, we'll just have a quick look this is our outdoor kitchen which is... For teaching. Uh, for teaching and also for filming. And it's maybe looking slightly forlorn uh, as the last couple of weeks has been... We've finally got some rain and stormy weather. Oh, no, it's So it's not, it's not being used today, but it's a lovely spot. And it's great to be able to pluck some produce straight from the garden. And look, there's a lovely uh, bright orange squash in there. Do you oh, see yeah. that peeping through there? That's one I'm pretty sure is an onion squash. It's a little pointy top. Uh, anyway, I must spread the good news that the squashes are abundant and ripe. And, uh, so it's be going to be squash everything for the I next few weeks? It'll be, well, the squash on the menu, so we'll be, we'll be whipping through the squash uh, for several weeks now, yeah. What's one, have you got, what have you got in the new book? I've got a spicy squash and lentil soup. That's right, yeah. Okay. Which is really delicious. Yeah, that sounds and, good. And uh, a real favourite. And I love to finish it with... You could, I like. I always like to put a bit of a finish on a soup, a trickle of something or a sprinkle of something, and I'd like to put a, a bit of raita, maybe you know, yogurt with garlic and a little bit of mint, and then either a trickle of chili oil or maybe a sprinkling of ducker. You know, the toasted nuts and seeds with a bit of it's coriander. There's a recipe for cumin. that in there, isn't there? There is, yes, because it's such a great way of adding extra texture and, and, and crunch to lots of dishes. Great on soups, but also great sprinkled on grilled vegetables and all sorts of lovely things. We're talking about the new book, but good comfort, OK. Yes, all about comfort co food, but with the goodness dialed up just a little bit. Yeah, so the old fav some of the old favourites, but a bit more healthy. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. OK. But absolutely full of deliciousness. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, what I, what's been really interesting is I've, I've found in, in tweaking the recipes with you know, a little bit of extra veg or going a bit more, more whole ingredients, more whole grains. Many of them become more delicious. And with sugar, for example, I mean, dialing down the sugar in uh, puddings and, and treats, bakey things, uh, turns out 
to often make them much more delicious. And I'm beginning to think for a long time we've been tolerating sugar in sweet things rather than enjoying it. There's this assumption that we all want a massive hit of sugar every time we have a biscuit or a slice of cake. And, you know, about three or four years ago, we started taking, uh, just as it automatically started taking 20 to 30% of the sugar out of traditional cake and biscuit and pudding recipes at River Cottage. Nobody even noticed, or if they noticed, it would say, why is, why is this so good? It tastes really good. Mm-hmm. And I've gone even further than that in the book, making brownies and biscuits. And I've got a little treat for you at the, at the end of our walk, I think. I won't tell you what it is, but it's a very, it's probably literally the easiest recipe in the book. Okay. It took 10 minutes to put together, 15 minutes in the oven, and I think you're going to enjoy it. But we can, we can pick up the sugar conversation again then, because it's not very much sugar at all. Is the whole idea uh, for um, industrial made cakes and biscuits and everything, isn't it that we get the sugar hit and then we want another one? So we keep on eating their biscuits? Yes, at some level they're kind of unsatisfying. And, and that's not just because of the refined sugar. I think it's because of the refined carbs. Yes, you know, the refined yeah. grains are, are yeah. empty of the things that... Uh, uh, a, the things that are good for us, like, like fibre, and uh, when you take the fibre out, you take much of the goodness out. But also these are the things that make us feel a bit full and know when we've had enough. And if you take all those out of food, then yes... But these are guys who know what they like to eat. <laughs> really? Are they quite fussy? Well, they, they, I don't think they're too fussy. Um, but I, I'm Hi. hoping they'll uh, regard these uh, little items as a treat. I haven't met Notty before. And that one is a bit... not too happy to see Notty. And Notty's not too happy to see her, but she Notty knows when she doesn't need to try and make friends. Um, these guys are getting a little treat. Would you ever, so you'd never um, hand feed a pig with an apple because you might lose a finger? Uh, I wouldn't hand feed a pig with an apple unless I knew that pig extremely well. (laughs) I've reared pigs at home that I got to know pretty well and be happy to go in and give them a scratch. These girls... What are they? They're a cross between Oxford Sandy and Black and Tamworth. That's you get this lovely ginger pig... And they've been with us since the late spring. And I have to say their time is nearly up. And, in fact, three of their siblings, uh, their time was up only this morning. So Where uh, do they... Is, it, is that... Have you very, got a good setup? We're for very that? lucky. There's, yeah. a, there's a family abattoir less than 40 minutes from here. Amazing. And uh, I've been taking my livestock there and River Cottage livestock for nearly 20 years now. And it's always a sombre day. You know, it's always a... a, a, a a, a sense of occasion and importance and Jim, our farmer took... Uh, he goes with? He took. He goes with them, he loaded them up into the trailer and the really important thing is he'd been feeding them in the trailer for a week so they were walking in and out of the trailer quite happily. It's really important with, you know, with small holding when you're looking after your animals that you don't suddenly turn up one day and say right you're going in this thing that you've never been in before so it's about getting them accustomed they are, I'm happy to say, really enjoying those windfalls. <laughs> and I'm wondering if there's some of them are really quite brown. I'm wondering if there's a little touch of cider going on there that might just relax them a bit for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, they're very, you know, they're very, they've had a nice time here. It's really important to us. You know, we are a working farm. We're not a petting zoo. We're a working farm, and the animals we raise here end up in our kitchen. But while they're here... We want to look after them, 
and we want to make sure they have a really nice time and then we can feel good about uh, the, what we do with them when they are no longer pigs but pork. So you don't give them names because that would just be start uh, becoming that lesson. Yeah. The first two pigs I yeah. ever kept 20 years ago now more than were called I made the mistake of naming them after two friends of mine <laughs> called them Tom and Charlie. <laughs> It didn't make it any easier when their time finally came. It made it harder. Ah, Adam, we've got a question for you. Uh, we've been looking at the squash patch, which is absolutely bursting with some amazing uh, fruit. Yeah. And uh, there's a few varieties that I know, like the onion squash and uh, the crown prince and some yeah. butternuts and various others. The chimmy, the kimmy, the kim, 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 kim churi, what's the, that one was called? The chicky curry. <laughs> and then there's an enormous one with huge crusty yeah, yeah. barnacles on it. Yeah, that's the first time I've grown that one. That's it's, what I it's thought. A, um, it's a French variety, which the name escapes me. <laughs> but, <laughs> Great, um, well, there you go. I, could, I didn't know it. And I think we're going we're to have to christen it with our own name. And, and, well, I think you, it you, is a squash rather than a pumpkin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it, it, it reminded me of iron bark, which breaks out into those crusty edges, like split into that really rough skin. But it isn't, because those are like splits, and these are literally like enormous barnacles. Yeah, the chefs are going to have a bit of a job cutting through that one. Annabelle was in, in, intimating that we might have done something terrible to the squash to make it come <laughs> oh, out, to come out no, into no. the squash version of hives or barnacles. Or that or you something. had an invasive... An invasive Barnacle squash, <laughs> a squash munching no, barnacle no, disease. No, it's, it's, um, no it, is, it is meant to look like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's the first time I've grown it. So yeah, I've, I've, someone actually who came on the gardening course the other day, they said they had grown it last year and it's a it's a good tasting squash. So I think the chefs are going to curse you. I think get, whoever's the newest person in the kitchen is going to get the job of, of cutting that one up. Cheers, Adam. Walk around. Bye. See you. See you later. Squash is becoming a, a bit of a mystery, isn't it? Even, yes. even Adam, who chose it, can't remember the name. Wow. Quite spectacular, though. I hope people will go and find it online. No doubt someone out there will be able to tell us. Yeah, There'll yeah, be listeners, some please squash write Squash fiends yeah. out there who know the names of all the squashes around. But the good thing is Adam knew that he was expecting them. It wasn't like he was thinking, oh, something's attacked it. And... Annabelle, I, just, I don't want to think about the fact that you wouldn't take my word for it. You <laughs> had to speak to our head gardener before yeah. confirming that yeah, the barnacles well, you... weren't a disease, but they were actually part of the character of that particular variety of squash. You were doubting yourself. Here. No, you didn't no, have the I wasn't doubting myself. I was super sure that they were they were meant to be. Have you got a good? Is this a good blackberry season, or is it just an, same as last year? Unbelievable blackberry season. I would say it's been the best blackberry season I've ever known. I mean, maybe my blackberry memory is a bit short, but it's certainly way better than the last few years have been. It may it may be slightly that the best is over now that the rains came, but oh. lo looking up, there's still plenty of goodens. Mmm. Mm. Yeah, they are good, aren't they? Very There's, sweet. Yeah, and also many, many different varieties in the hedge. Apparently there are lots of different micro-species, which is one of the reasons you have that strange experience. You, you have a couple of blackberries and you walk on literally two metres and you have some and they taste completely different. Yeah, really sour, like that. I just had a sweet one and a sour one. Yeah, I mean, partly that's going to be down to ripeness, but it's also down to the fact that you've got this mixture of different micro-species in the hedge. Um, that's something that I was very privileged to, to meet 
Richard Maybe, one of our original uh, foraging heroes, yeah. wrote that wonderful book, Food for Free. And I went for a wander and a forage with him, and he told me about the many micro-species of blackberries that, How fascinating. that uh, live in our hedges. I was just up in the highlands of Scotland only yesterday, and we were picking juniper berries and little blueberries. I think they might call them bilberries. Do you know? I think they also might call them blaberries. Ah, yes, that sounds right. So, but they're, they're a kind delicious. of they're a wild blueberry. Mm. Instead of growing on the kind of high uh, bushy plants that you get cultivated blueberries on, they they carpet the ground, don't they? Yeah, they were under the pine trees. Yes, R- and, quite yeah, quite low. Yeah, and they 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 could be very very delicious. Uh, really I, I delicious. love blueberry. You do get them in the south. You get them on he- heathland. See them occasionally around here. But you rarely get them in that same abundance where you could really kind of pick yourself a hatful, which is uh, what you find in Scotland, which is really, really nice. So you could grow them here. Well, you certainly feels like it today. I don't know, you could grow almost anything because of well, the... Well, this is the kitchen garden. This is our farmhouse. And so this has got a slightly different feel to it, as you can see. We've got a lot of flowers. It's a very bee-friendly garden. It's also got a wider variety of different veg. It's more... I, I hesitate to call it a showcase garden because it, you know, it is about growing veg for the kitchen. But we grow lots and lots of different veg here, so that we can show people lots of growing techniques. Look at this; we've got a whole bed of basil that here. Basil's really, really healthy. Just, What's the tree it? in the middle? That's a mulberry tree. Um. I mean, it's not an easy tree to get the fruit off because the birds get there, and and they all, it also falls to the ground very quickly. Where you can see there's quite a lot of squished mulberries. But because it was so good this year, the chefs were getting up into the trees and just trying to find that moment. And if they're red, they're not ready. That could be... What do you mean they have to be sort of dark? That is... What's that? That's a purplish one. Would you say that? That's going to be okay. But if I can find you one that's almost black, it'll be sweeter. But when you start with that that one, I think that'll be pretty good. Mm. Oh, my God. That's delicious. It's got a really funny mixture of tastes. Uh, uh. Mulberries are extraordinary. They're, you know, they're mm. hard to describe, as you say, because they're, mm. they're not like a raspberry and they're not like a blackberry, and there's a, there's a bit of both going on, and then there's also something there's a bit... Something, something like really good wine going on in there as well. Un- um, if I could find you an even blacker one, you would get the ultimate. Oh, I think this one there, I might have to jump for it. Uh, uh. Oh, cool. uh, and tiny bit mouldy. I'll just take the mouldy bit, bit off mold. the end. I think... Oh, it's also... very squishy though, thank you. Yeah, but squishy can be Oh, good. yeah. How's that? Very crumbly. Mm. Um, that's a whole different taste to the one I had before. Mm. There's quite a dark one. Oh, you found one? I think I've seen a real good one here. There's still quite a few. But also, what Let's a lovely thing one. to be standing under and looking and foraging from because it's just a beautiful tree. It is a beautiful tree. So I, I imagine it's quite old, no, this tree? Uh, it, it, it's doing well, but it was actually planted when mm. we first arrived mm. here, mm. which means it's about 17 years old. But it, oh, gosh. You'd, you'd guess more, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's, it looks It really older. looks very established. And um, Ooh, our, our so gardener... Uh, you uh, have you had one yet? Yes. Mm. Sorry, what were you saying? Our gardener at the time had a brilliant idea of putting it in this ra- giant raised bed. Because mm. they do have this quite low, ha- this habit of spreading very low. But in order that we could all walk around it and be underneath it. And it's worked extremely well. And then we get to plant all the herbs, like this thyme. 
around the edge. And in the spring, you get tulips coming up. Oh. Because there aren't many leaves. The mulberry actually, the leaves come out really quite late. So there's plenty of sunshine to bring up the tulips and the other flowers that we grow in here before oh. the leaves on the mulberry tree come out. This is really magical, this little spot. But yeah, that no, was uh, Malcolm's inspiration to plant this mulberry and go a bit mouldy. There's masses left. Yeah, there are a good few left. I'm, I'm pleased about that. I think there's probably another good harvest. Are there any in your book? Book. There are no mulberry recipes in the book because it's just something that is very, very hard to, unless you've literally got a mulberry tree in your garden. You can't buy them easily. I, I've almost never seen them on sale, even in a farmer's market. I mean, I wouldn't say it never happens, but it's an unusual thing for sure. Really nice golden raspberries. But the only tr- they're slightly tricky because they're ripe when golden, but because of that subtle colour... It's a little bit harder to tell. So I can tell that that one is not ripe and that one is ripe, but you, there's not much to choose between them colour-wise. No, that's very subtle. But it's just by giving it a tiny little squeeze. And then that one comes away. Oh! oh. Three-second rule. Yep. That one comes away uh, off its calyx, if that's what it's called. Mmm! Uh, and that should be pretty good. Did, did I pick you a ripe one? You did. That's absolutely delicious. Really sweet and lovely. Good. These are a nice late variety. Uh, so oh, okay. They'll, they'll, they'll be going for a few weeks yet. Okay, so they'll carry. So have the red ones kind of finished? Oh not no, not quite. This, there's another. This is a variety. These are the red <gasps> ones here. Look at that one. Is that one ready? Yes, it is. Good spot. Ooh, deceptive. Just about ready. I think it, it'll be a little uh, bit tarter. It'll be a little bit tarter than the last one. Thank you. But I'll find you a ready. Mmm. Mm, yeah. Was it good? See, oh my god, it's so good! This is the colour I really like with the red one. You see, it's almost falling off the the, the white bit that it comes, mm. that the berries cling to. It's because I'm pulling my foot. <laughs> now that's the sort of creak you want from a garden gate. Isn't Perfect. It? It's want, a sort of. You want to record that several times and yeah, keep it's it this... in your sound library and sell it to horror movies. That sounds like the beginning of a of a gardening program. I'll just close it behind okay, you hang and on. get it one more time. Shush. We do, there's a, uh, the hungry month is February, isn't it, or something? So we're okay for a f- actually, no. Just, just a, actually, weirdly not, the hungry month is April, mm. which sounds strange, but, it's, well, the hungry gap is that time when you think things should be ready, but actually they aren't ready yet. So you started planting things in your garden maybe in March. In fact, in February and March, there's still usually quite a lot of kales and things left in the garden, even if you've left carrots or beetroot in the ground, they'll still be okay for harvesting. But they all start going to seed. And then you get to April and you think, where, where's all the lovely stuff? And actually, it's not quite there yet. Might be a little bit of purple sprouting broccoli and some kale, but not much else. Then you really have to wait till May till you can get harvests of new spinach and radishes and stuff like that. So the hungry gap is a sort of slightly deceptive time. But are you a stickler for seasonal eating? Well, in the sense that, um, yes. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we're harvesting things when they're ready and taking them straight to the kitchen. But at the same time, there's a way of um, extending the, the seasons a little bit. And that's what polytunnels are for. And that's also what fridges and freezers are for. But it's also what fermentation is for and what salting and pickling and making chutneys is for. And we do all of those things at River Cottage. And we teach all of those things. 
we have a wonderful fermentation guru called Rachel de Temple, and she she can pickle anything. And she's got all sorts of amazing recipes. You know, sauerkraut's just one little bit of it. There's, there's nothing that she can't turn into a delightful ferment. But for the majority of us who uh, don't live at River Cottage HQ, we're going into the supermarkets or the wherever and buying out-of-season food. How, does that make you, Does that upset you? Well, I mean, you know, to be fair to the supermarkets, not all the food they sell is out-of-season. You know, they they like to offer kind of a sense that you can have anything you want any time of year but in amongst that they are you know there are seasonal foods and you can you know you can shop seasonally in a in a supermarket and you can find british produce at its best if you know where to look and you're you know that's the kind of stuff you want to make at the the heart of your kitchen so I, i don't quite buy that thing that the minute we set foot into a supermarket we're at the mercy of, you know, imports. big agriculture and uh, imports and all the rest of it. You can shop judiciously in a supermarket and, and choose uh, British produce that is in season. Not necessarily for everything you're going to cook, but you can make that kind of your first point of call. And, and in a way, that's all I think is sort of what what's, is worth doing, what, what's reasonable. So just do your best. Think about it. Be, be a bit mindful. Do, yes, do what works for you. Yeah, do what works for you. But, and once in a while, if you've got a farmer's market near you, go and check that out. Because the lovely thing about that is you get to meet the people who've grown the food. And, uh, you know, if there's anything wrong with it, you can tell them to their faces. But that's the sort of, that's the guarantee. We're going to try and sneak through this gate. We've come completely unscathed through the marsh. Oh, we We didn't sink into the marsh. We didn't sink in, and that's That's because it's been so dry. Yes, this is actually flowering water mint. If you have a little look around... That's so delicious, that mint. Honeybees. Those will almost certainly be from our hives, and they've come here to feed on the water mint in peace. And uh, There's plenty of them, yeah. A couple of months ago, they'd have been absolutely hoovering up the bramble flowers, you know, the the, the blackberry Mm. flowers. It's a really important bee fodder. And of course, that's all now blackberries or nearly blackberries. Do you, do you, would you, or maybe it's a winter thing, would you normally have a spot where you could come and sit and you might have a picnic or, because uh, it looks we, a bit impenetrable at the moment. It, it is impenetrable. Um, we, we, have, we don't use the pond a great deal. It's a bit of a secret space at the moment. Mm. And every year we have a bit of discussion about, should we open up a path here? Should we put a little deck so people can come and picnic? And you know what? One day I'm sure we will do that. But just for the moment, it's great to have a really wild place we can escape to and that uh, feels that it's still being left to its own devices. And mm-hmm. the, the wildlife here is thriving. Yes, they'll feel safe in the, in the wilderness of it all. Yeah. Are you very busy, generally? Or would you like more time to be able to just have a... I am a, a little bit better, I think. I can't tell you that everyone in my family would wholeheartedly agree, but I think I'm a little bit better at making time for the things I really care about. Because in a way, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me to enthuse about you know, growing vegetables and being in nature and you know, foraging on the seashore and catching fish and the, the, the things that I love to do. 
there's it, no point in using a madam if I haven't got time to do a bit of it myself. If you're only doing it for the camera. Well, exactly. <laughs> no, that's or not... Or the podcast. No, that's not good at all. No. No. No, that's not good at all. So I, I, I have a pretty strict rule about not working at weekends unless it's absolutely vital oh and uh, taking longer holidays than I used to. So I've had a lovely chunk of the summer off. Okay, so... Some of which I spent at home, pottering in the garden, and some of which I spent in Scotland, which I also love. How do we, uh, how do we get everyone cooking, Hugh? How do we get everyone cooking? Well, What's the plan? Do you know what? It's a great question, and I wish I had a simple answer, but I think, in all honesty, the answer is quite complicated. Mm. But I absolutely think it's, it's a question we need to keep trying to answer because if we can make it happen then I think so many good things flow from it if if people can cook uh, healthy food from inexpensive ingredients that they that they love eating then that gives every anyone who can do that has a kind of resilience in the face of whatever else life throws at them and you know wealth feels really tough right now the world's felt tough for a while and suddenly it feels even tougher. Now, that's a really hard thing to cope with. If you are reasonably confident that you can go into a kitchen with some ingredients and cook something nice, then, uh, that probably is a deer, uh, then I think that's, then you're going to ha have a, at least some resilience uh, at, at this really challenging time. You mean if you can be more uh, self-sufficient, as it yeah. were? And, uh, not necessarily in being able to grow stuff. And I know, you know, that's not for everyone and you need a little bit of space. But what yeah. could be for everyone is the ability to cook a few nice dishes with inexpensive ingredients. And also to understand what healthy food is, what it, what it looks like, what it's made of. Because it, that's the, you know, that is our first line of defence is good food to keep us well. That's, there's nothing, it's not medicine, it's not the NHS, incredibly important though they are, it's eating good food. And we do, we are in a situation where so much of the food we eat has been described now as ultra-processed or hyper-processed. And uh, foods that are defined as such now constitute more than half of our diet. That means basically things that are made in factories. Now, food coming from a factory isn't problematic in itself, but it's what happens to the ingredients uh, in order to make these mass-produced foods behave the way the makers want them to behave. They want them to be malleable. They want to be able to spin them out into endless combinations, easy to add flavourings. And so we end up working with a set of ingredients of refined carbs like white flour and white rice and white pasta and refined sugars and refined fats, which have had all the good things taken out just to make them easier to manipulate and to be able to spin them into endless shapes and textures and flavours. And, and then they're presented back to us, usually with some layer of some sauciness or sweetness or crisp or crunch that's been carefully placed on top or layered in and the fact is, we do find them irresistible. We find them easy to eat and yet somehow not very satisfying, so we want more. Whereas if you create homemade versions of many of those same dishes that are, you know, that are popular as takeaways or ready meals and you make them with good ingredients, less of them will fill you up and make you feel more satisfied and be better for you. And that's what good comfort is about. That's what I've tried to do in the book is... Uh, 
offer up really familiar foods that we know and love. Pies and cakes and crumbles and tea time treats and easy soups and soothing, comforting things that we think of as family meals. But to dial up the good parts, the healthy ingredients, the, the, you know, the whole grains, the veg, the fruit... Uh, add a little bit of diversity in there because that's a, also a really important thing. We, our foods need to be more whole and more diverse. We need a greater, we need to enjoy a greater uh, variety of wholer foods. That's what I put in the book. I think that's so brilliant because you're right. It's the idea that you see one of your recipes in there and you think, oh, I know that. I know that recipe. I know that food. I know that comfort food. Whether it's a, a, a macaroni cheese or a, or a, or a well a roast chicken or, or even a, a chocolate brownie or a chocolate brownie, but then it's just got a twist to it. So you, it's familiar. So it's not like starting again with some really wacky ingredients and some weird kind of way of cooking it. We feel that we can go yeah. for it because we That's know. That's right. It. I mean, a lot a lot of the recipes in the book are. They're not, as you say, wildly reinvented with a totally different set of ingredients. They're fairly faithful, but they, they've, they've dialed up the healthy stuff. They've maybe swapped in whole grain flour for white flour, uh, in the case of almost all the tea time treats and baking and biscuits. And you know what? When you, when you make a Victoria sponge for the first time with a light wholemeal flour, it's actually tastier. It's got a nuttiness to it. Yeah. Half the sugar, switch in the wholemeal flour, little uh, maybe some ground hazelnuts or ground almonds to help keep it a little bit moist and another source of goodness and a bit of protein. And you've got a properly delicious cake. And nobody says this isn't sweet enough. You know, we've been taking sugar out of our baking treats and desserts at River Cottage for years now, and nobody's ever said there's not enough sugar in this. Our relationship with sugar is really strange, and, mm. but even weirder is the, is the relationship that the, the kind of food industry imposes on us. They assume that we need sweet things to be really sweet and actually it turns out that we we often don't and we're very very happy with versions where the sugar's dialed down and other better ingredients are dialed up we'll still, and they're still super treaty I yeah mean, we're not making we'll still come back for more we'll still come back for more although we won't necessarily keep coming back for more and more and more because actually we'll find them really satisfying and filling they're not empty you're not kind of chasing that kind of yeah. elusive sort of mouthfeel mm. where did it go you know you can you can eat one of these kind of fluffy donuts covered in icing and you know three chews and it's down your gullet and you think where where does where did that go and Perhaps actually I better have another one yeah you're hungry again quite quickly aren't you yeah exactly uh, here in this here in this semi-wild orchard where some of the trees i'm pretty sure are self-seeded from other apples and others were planted here quite a long time ago others more recently I thought we might just stop and sit down. You know, I've actually bought a little treat for us. <laughs> well, first of all, I bought a flask of tea. Oh. And then I've got something for us to sit on, because I thought it might be wet. But it's not going to be that wet, is it? No. Even so. And in this Tupperware box, it looks empty. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's quite small, Hugh. My kids didn't get the memo <laughs> about saving the biscuits for Annabelle. <laughs> But at the bottom of this Tupperware two are left. two How cookies. Delicious. They're both for you. No, no. We can this have is, well, I might have a bite. Th yeah. th this is a, a, a recipe I designed for the book. It's literally the easiest recipe in the book. And they're, sort of, they're, they're, they're just simple OT cookies. They've got lots of goodness in them. But they're really good for dunking. For some reason, the texture seems to be just perfect. And the absorbency is exactly right. Now, I don't know if you're a dunker. 
And, I, it's, I, and dunking isn't compulsory. No, I am a dunker. Um, so I brought some tea with us. Hope it's still warm. Quite strong. It's had a good old time to brew. Would you like to sit yeah, down? Yeah, can I sit down? So un underneath the blanket is a very soft uh, cushion of bracken. And a, and a couple of snakes. Thanks. How amazing. It's still hot. Thank you so much. But I wasn't expecting this. Tea for two. Yeah, how lovely. In the middle of the orchard. I'm going to try and... There. That's fine, I can manage this. Um, so these are called... What are they called, the biscuits? These are my OT dunking cookies. And it's just uh, butter melted with a little bit of sugar. There's only 50 grams of sugar to 200 grams of flour and oats. So it's really not very much. And uh, you melt the butter and the sugar in a saucepan and you stir in the oats and the flour until it comes together and that's literally it. That's really and you easy. put the teaspoons onto a baking parchment or onto your, onto your baking tin. If you want to get a bit fancy, you can add some raisins, you can add some chocolate chips, you can add nuts and seeds and all sorts. This is the basic cookie. Uh, ready for dunking. So be my guest. Let me take yeah, that and take the mic off you. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to this. I'm going to try a bit before I dunk. Yes, do. Mmm. 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 Is there like a cinnamon or anything? There's a pinch of mixed spice. Mm. Mixed spice. A little pinch of mixed spice. Oh my God, Sometimes just... I just put a couple of bashed cardamom pods, pods in there. On this occasion it's a pinch of mixed spice. Mm. I've always had a I've always wondered about cardamom pods when they go into rice and things and you're eating a nice bit of rice and then suddenly you've got this really chewy... Ah, yeah, so you just open bash. the pod because mm. the pod tastes pretty much nothing and inside are a few little chunky little seeds and you just grind them with a you know, pestle and mortar or even just with the back of a knife to burst them and then all the flavour comes out. This is so delicious. You, you. Can have that. you have that one. Oh, go on then. I'll, I'll have a dunk. Yeah, I mean, but too mean. You did, you went for a dunk, did you, for your mm -hmm. second bite? Like... You see what I mean? That's the... If you... Mm. There's a sort of risk that the longer you leave it in, mm. when you lift it up to the vertical, or rather when you lift it up to the horizontal, the ends might fall off. But this is quite a robust cookie. It's been in there for 30 seconds. These are so delicious. And... Oh, that was a sigh. Semi-soaked on the outside, but still crunchy in the middle. That's a good dunk. That's brilliant. Well, I will uh, sing the praise of this biscuit. So not very, very expensive to make. No. And very easy and quick to make. Super easy and quick. Uh, very little sugar. And stay biscuity fresh for actually, a few days. I, I actually made these uh, three days ago. Oh my god, okay. They're, they're still really crunchy, aren't okay. they? Okay, mm. No, that's really good. So, of course, a big part of shifting the direction of, of our eating is to get more plants on the plate. That can mean mm. putting more veg in dishes that have meat in them, which, which is actually really easy to do. So there's a lovely traditional beefy chilli in the book, which has got actually loads of veg in it, but still is beefy. And then there's also creating 
lovely dishes that don't have any meat in at all, but still satisfy us and make us feel like that we've really had a treat. For me, something like the kale and mushroom lasagna in the book, that's one of the best veggie lasagna recipes I've been able to put together. It's got those two layers. It's got the, it's got the greens uh, of the kale and smothered in a little bit of bechamel and then the richness of the mushrooms. You can put a few beans in with the mushrooms too to make it even more substantial. But mushrooms are a great uh, source of deep flavour. Well, there's this word, umami, that, every, that chefs have been banding around for a while now. And uh, some people find it a little annoying, but it does describe a kind of deep savouriness that people enjoy. And mushrooms are a good way, good place to go for that. And uh, and there are also ways of developing those flavours by, you know, roasting vegetables and concentrating their flavours. And when you know when we caramelise onions and things like that, we create a kind of rich bed of flavours that we find very appealing. So uh, sometimes it's a little bit of patience just to spend a little bit more time with the ingredients cooking them down and concentrating the flavours and then seasoning them well and recognising that you know as long as if we think about veg as the afterthought or the bit on the side then it's set up to disappoint but if we make it the hero of the dish and do some of those things like roasting it or barbecuing it even and that we tend to do with meat and fish then we're going to bring out the best in our veg and really start to enjoy them. So I've got a pizza in the book topped with roasted kale. Mm. And if you brush the kale with a little bit of soy sauce and a squeeze of lime or lemon, then you get this lovely kind of Moorish taste on the edge of it when it's crispy. And if you put that on top of a pizza, then it really is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. You've been foraging. I can see in your basket you've been foraging as well. Yeah. Um, but... I brought with me some cob nuts from home because they've been really productive like the blackberries it's been an amazing year for cob nuts and I thought oh but the only thing is I've left the nutcracker behind I would I could have sworn I put my nutcracker in the basket I definitely got it out oh it really is you can't yeah no well yeah there is that trick with walnuts when you can crush two together along okay. the seam okay I'm but ready I've, I've never tried ready. to do it with no, no pressure Hugh. no pressure no let's pressure. see Hang on, they're also a bit squeaky. They slip off each other. Uh, what about putting them in the cloth? Oh! You, you could definitely survive in the wild, couldn't you? For about ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd give it my best shot. I'm just going to just give it a little bit. Uh, that papery stuff is all quite edible, but to get to the meat of the nut, just to take some of that off. But the papery stuff is the good fibre, no? Yeah, yeah. But, but, so, I'm, I'm just, but it's uh, get to get the taste. There, Thank just, you. still quite fresh it's un- mm. un- very different from when you buy it in a shop and mm. it's kind of all dried out it's almost vegetable isn't it it's got a very fresh flavor but would you roast them no no at this point I, I mean this is what we've been doing at home we've been sitting with a big pile of nuts on the table and just cracking our way through them and uh, eating them and chatting them. Uh, no because this is the moment to enjoy them when they're just off the tree and they've got that kind of juicy fresh nut flavor um it's the timing yeah, I mean, if you leave these in the kitchen, they'll go browner and browner and yeah. dry out in the middle, and eventually they'll just be like a hazelnut you buy in the shop, albeit having the pleasure of come from your own trees. But it's getting that fresh moment in the really early autumn when they are so special and still a bit juicy. Life's going to be okay, I think, isn't it? 
Well, it's tricky. I, it is tricky, but I, I really, really hope so. But I, I do think that the more resources people have to understand how to make good, healthy food for their families, the more help that's going to be as we face these tricky times. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! What a lovely hopeful ending there from Hugh. Out in the wilds with our very own Annabelle Ross, cracking nuts with Hugh Fernley Winstor. Annabelle joins us. <laughs> <laughs> Annabelle <laughs> joins us in the studio. Lovely to see you. I'm really jealous. Um, I should also say that Hannah and Jack are here too. So lovely to Hello. see our regular podcast team. Annabelle, though, that was pretty exciting from a man crush point of view. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, you should be jealous, actually, Fergus, because it was a really lovely, I'd like to call it a lovely day, but of course, it was only an hour. It always feels longer. It's it's really lovely. Yeah, you should be jealous because he, Hugh certainly knew how to um, look after his interviewer, no, which is really nice. interesting. That is really nice. Yeah, yeah, which is never, not normally that way around, because we're supposed to, I'm the one normally, you know, making the sandwiches and taking something along. But no, no, he took not... you a picnic. Yeah, he took me a picnic. With his oaty dunking biscuits. I actually was slightly overwhelmed and lost my professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, listening to it, I did too. Um, I've always, I mean, you know, I, I've always really, really liked Hugh Fernley. And um, from the very beginnings when he did a series called Cook on the Wild Side, which is all about traveling around and foraging. But when he did that first um, the, the, the little cottage by the brook, the, the river cottage, mm-hmm. the, the original river cottage, I, I th- sort of sowed something inside me, which I then spent the next ten years thinking, "How can I achieve this myself?" and 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 did try it in the end with with my family. Uh, <laughs> it all went horribly wrong in the end. Oh, the small holding story. Yeah, yep. the small yep. thing, yeah, we know which the sm- done, Yeah, we but, have done. Uh, so I'm, I'm while I'm. But you're still with your wife, which yes, is good. Yeah, you've yeah, you've yeah, stayed yeah, together. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Not all the chickens made it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, none of them made it. But uh, the foxes were happy. But the, but I blame him and I owe him because mm. it's you know, I wouldn't be I probably wouldn't be working on Countryfile and doing this podcast without that sort of inspiring, like yes, there is a different world out there. I was I would sort of you know, be on the tube in London thinking about actually there's more fun to be had out there growing and. Meeting other people locally and forming a community. So, yeah, that all comes across. Yeah, he made it. I do remember he made And it was quite early days of sort of chefs on TV as well, wasn't it? It was. And he was a bit different because, but he made it all very possible. Yes. And it was all very warm and cozy and happy and healthy. And the reality is, it's not. Well, it's same. quite haphazard. And I think he did have some disasters which were filmed. But, you know, if I, if I catalogued the number of disasters that I had running a small holding, 
That um, would be the entire It would be series. So, an entire series of podcasts. There'd be tears, there'd be broken hearts, there would be all sorts Storming of... Storming off? Well, yes. Lots of huffs, off. Lots of huffs. Um, but mostly it, was, um, mostly it was fun. And there were times when I would just sit there, very rarely when I could sit and pause. Well, there was that whole movement in the 70s, which my parents actually did as well. They, they went and moved from the city to the countryside, had a village shop and a big plot out the back with my grandparents and various aunts and uncles having a commune where they had a shop, a cafe, goats, chickens, veg bed, doves, all sorts of things going on. And um, that ended disastrously too. <laughs> but, um, but again, it kind of, that, that was the movement of, I think, John Seymour, who was the great famous smallholder who wrote manuals about how to, how to go off and live off the land. And for lots and lots of people, generations, it's obviously rural life is in our blood. Almost everybody in Britain has rural connections, not many generations back. And you know, we spend a lot of time trying to get back there. Yeah, I think, I think um, smallholding is definitely coming back as well, the idea of smallholding. Um, would either of you, would either of you, is that a f- sort of fantasy of yours to have a smallholding? Jack? Oh, I'd love to have some bit of land. Would you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you put on it? I mean, what would be your thing? Oh, I, don't know, I like, I like, I like chickens. Yeah. I like pigs. Mm. <laughs> Cows, they're a, bit, they're a bit too big for me. Take up quite like, a lot of space. Yeah, a lot of space. Do you, yeah. do you like dogs? I'm all right with dogs. Dogs and chickens don't always... Well, that's fine. Dogs can, I can leave the dogs. Okay, so chickens, chicken. chickens. Yeah, yeah. And would they be allowed in the house? After watching chicken run, they can go wherever they want. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I think them coming to the house is quite nice. I quite like the idea of turning around and seeing it. What do you think, Hannah? Would you yes. like a small holding? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So my mum has an allotment and we had chickens. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely there. When I grow up, I'll have it. And we had a chicken who occasionally came to the kitchen. It was just nice having her there. But are you able to kill a chicken? No. no. Jack, would you ring its neck? Oh, I'm not sure. I feel, I feel like I... I could, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things that until I'm I'm there, <laughs> I'm when, there. You're, when you're hungry enough. You yeah, <laughs> I, 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 no, I have a story. Yes, I have. I You've have, got a story I, about I have, chicken. About chicken. chicken. I have a story about yeah. Um, when you keep chickens for any length of time, there are occasions where um, you need to dispatch them if they've been wounded or whatever it is uh, or ill or something like that and if you're out in the wilds like I was up on the hill I couldn't afford to get a vet to come up and do it so there is a technique but we did have a cock pheasant who would come on a regular basis to the chicken run and he would attempt to mate with our hens while he would and uh, this was really distressing for them and they stopped laying eggs and I tried to drive him off many 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 times I think you've got such a good podcast in all these stories. <laughs> Sorry. And he, he wouldn't go. And it became really distressing that the, the chickens were losing feathers. And and eventually I had to go in and, and kill him. Yeah, unfortunately. Kill the pheasant. Kill the pheasant because he just, I could not get rid of him. He was really aggressive. And um, well, we had him for supper. Well, that's fine. You had him for supper. And how many millions get released every year in this country? 
Well, that's another podcast, okay, but sorry. it is, yeah. yeah actually, no, don't, don't tell me, don't no, tell it's, me. It's, it's, don't, uh, don't say. In fact, we've got, one, we've got a podcast coming up later in this season where I'm talking to Patrick Gal- Galbraith, editor of Shooting Times, where we talk about exactly that subject. Yeah, so let's leave it for hold that Hold fire on Bring that. Bring me because, in studio, please. Well, you can, and Patrick will be here, I hope, too. So we Oh, yeah, a, definitely we, bring me in we studio. We can have a, a very jolly time. But I think the reality is, I guess, that, you know, with, the, with these small holdings, and yes, it was a really gorgeous hour with Hugh and you know, the pigs and then the lovely um, raspberries and the yellow raspberries and then we met the farmer and then rather the manager and then we met this and then we met that and how they, the beautiful story of the pigs. The reality is you will have to kill animals at some point mm. that you have come attached to because he talks about the pigs, doesn't he? That where, He called them his friends' names. Yeah, and he, he called them his friends' names and realised he could never, ever do that again Yeah, because they are there, they're being bred to be food. Yes. And um, and he does it, you know, they eat them, what's it called, um, nose to tail. They use nose to tail of every bit of that. Pig. Which is brilliant. I think that's got to be the way with. But with, I think um, this is the reality, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's so, very somber when he talked about it. I think he's always, whenever I've seen him shoot uh, a, 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 perhaps a wood pigeon or a duck or something like that, because he is quite, he will go fishing, he'll go shooting, he'll go foraging for creatures. Um, and he's all, there's always a reverence, which I really like about him. There's none of this uh, you know, celebrating a great shot and going, hurrah, let's go. And he's, he's, he's holds it quite tenderly. And I've, I've always admired that. And, and that reverence for food comes through in his book, which is good comfort, um, which you have a copy. I'm very lucky they sent me a copy of the book. I know you're jealous, and I know that you love Hugh Fergus. Yeah, I do, I do. And, um, but he is a really, he's a, he's a very warm, mm. generous a force person. Of a force of good. And a force of yeah. good, yeah. And I thought it was really interesting that he was saying that it was a bumper year for blackberries and for cobnets. And my knowledge of Lorna Dune tells me that um, nature provides a bountiful harvest when before a harsh winter, right. I don't know if that's a real thing. I've heard that. Yeah, I, I think that's so. But I think it's so lovely that you've even picked up on that—the bountiful um, blackberries and the bountiful cobnuts. Well, I also wanted to say that um, if you enjoyed the particularly large squash section, um, we've got a podcast dedicated to very large vegetables. And this is true. <laughs> we do. That was a fun day out that the three of us had. This time last year, actually, wasn't it? The, the Mulvan Autumn Show. That was great. I've never seen such enormous pumpkins. There are a couple of extraordinary aubergines. So that's episode 122. If you want to hear Jack, Hannah and me wandering around the show, uh, it's extremely entertaining. And there's the highlight of the inside information on how to judge giant vegetables from one of the judges. It's spectacular. And, and the funniest giant vegetable stories you'll hear. Oh, yeah. So oh, that's good. Uh, no, I might, I'm going to listen to you that. You should do. That's 122. Really, You'll yeah. like that. Jack, you're itching too. To... <laughs> I, I just have a, I had a couple of notes as well. Oh, crikey. One of them. It's more things I enjoyed. I enjoyed the biscuit conspiracy about when you eat one, you always want another and to do with the sugar and stuff. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed the phrase, never hand feed an apple to a pig, <laughs> which I will take with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an important piece of advice, There's that. Many one-handed people have, um, <laughs> have uh, not that. taken oh, that advice. Every time I've seen a pig, I thought, I want to hand feed that an apple, but now I know. <laughs> I do actually have one question Okay. that may be stupid. No, there's no stupid questions. In the podcast, all. 
they said mulberry tree. How come in the nursery rhyme it's mulberry bush? Oh, interesting. Can you get a mulberry bush and a mulberry tree? I think, I mean, they're quite small. I think mulberries are bushes. Mm. I think they are. I think you're right. Officially, they're bushes. So really good question. Yeah, but actually, I don't even know if that's the answer. I think you're pretty, yeah, I'd say that's because there's a mulberry tree uh, just outside my back garden gates. Uh, very productive. It's a mulberry bush. Oh. Yeah. Oh, right. Outside. Um, so, yeah, and it's um, it's very bushy, so it could easily be I think it is bush. officially a bush, yeah. Have we got a little bit of time for a delve into the post bag? We've had a, we've had a few things in. I'm just. I think we can. I think there's a little sound in there that's waiting to squeak out. Jack, I think this might be on. It might, this might be on you. Then, would you like to play the sound? Can you have a guess what it is? It's not Fergus with mouthwash. <laughs> it's me gargling brandy. Um, Jack. Anyone has a guess? It was the blah, 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 blah that sort of okay. sound. Yeah. Okay. So it's the background sort of bubbling sound. What do you think that is? Is it an animal or is it a, a thing? Well, animal. Animal. Is it, is it, a, is it a, uh, some big bird? No. no. It's not a bird. Although there was some screeching, rather exotic sounding. So this it isn't from the Can't UK. fly. It can't fly. Can't fly, no. Are we in a zoo? No, no, we won't accept zoo noises in the sound of the wind. Where are we? Give us a clue. Where are you? We're, we're quite far away. The furthest away you can get. Are we in Australia? Mm-hmm. We are. So it's a kookaburra. Well, that's a bird. <laughs> you said it's not a bird. So I'm going to shut up, Hannah. Help me. I have no help idea. Me. Jack, can you Jack, put them out of... Kangaroo. All out of our misery. I can indeed. Kangaroo. Not quite. This sound is from Sonia Baker. And I'll read the message, so just keep the tension there of what this could be. As I was out walking my dog this morning, wasn't the dog, I suddenly heard a new sound. As it's early spring here, I haven't heard the frogs for a few months. They live in a billabong near a creek that my dog, Rocky, and I like to walk along. You can also hear some rainbow lorikeets chirping as well. Lovely sounds. Thank you for the show. I find it very relaxing to listen to on my walks. So it's frogs. Frogs. Frogs, frogs babbling away. Australian frogs. Yeah, Australian that's, frogs. Me- that's so Sonia's from Melbourne. And so Australian that, parakeets. How cool is that? That's, so you, that's long distance listener of the week. Surely she gets week. a prize for being the furthest listener we know of. Well, we're absolutely thrilled to get that from Sonia, all the way from Melbourne. Um, so thrilled, in fact, that we're going to send you a prize little book. Hughes book, in fact, Good Comfort. And so please do send in your thoughts, your emails, your sounds of the week, and you too could get a little prize from us. But I think that's it for this episode. Thank you all in the studio for your wonderful contributions. It was a, it was a great chat. And thank you, Hugh. Hope to see you one day. But also thank you to everyone out there for listening. <laughs>